Good evening. Thanks for uh, joining us for this uh, good, good Friday service. Um, it's great to be able to come to you tonight and just share with you some thoughts. You know, it's we've been in um, a really cool series called "Blessed, Broken, and Given" for the last few weeks. And when I decided to do this series, I didn't know just how well it would line up with um, the events leading up to Easter. Didn't even cross my mind. Don't ask me why, but God already had that in mind. And this past Sunday, we were able to look at that aspect of what it means to be blessed. The next one in the series is called Broken, and it fit perfectly with what I wanted to talk with you about tonight. And so we're going to look at that word, broken. You see, brokenness is a way to describe our own frailty, our own limitations, and our finiteness as human beings. It's also a way of speaking about our fallen world. You know, when sickness or death occurs or when tragedies, tragedies hits or what we're going through right now with the, the coronavirus. You know, Romans tells us that all creation groans. It's a sign of the brokenness of the world. But brokenness is also a way to refer to our own failure, our own sin. And this brokenness, if not repaired, will keep us separated from our Heavenly Father. So the question that we want to ask tonight and kind of deal with is this. Did God do anything to repair and restore our brokenness? Well, before we answer that question fully, Jesus gave us a glimpse into God's plan in Mark chapter 14 in verses 22 through 26. It's another blessed, broken, and given story where Jesus takes bread into his hands. He blesses it. He breaks it. He gives it to his disciples. The setting for this is the Passover, the feast which commemorates God's rescue of the people of Israel from Egypt. And so during the Passover meal, this is what we read in Mark, in Mark's gospel. Starting in verse 22, it says, While they were eating, Jesus took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he, he said to them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now hopefully you were able to have your communion resources available for you tonight. Hopefully you got my email um, both last night and this morning and uh, in it, I gave you the instructions just to have your communion emblems ready because we just want to share together right now in just a moment. You know, in these verses that I just read, Jesus is letting them and us know that the price that would have to be paid in order for our brokenness to be repaired and restored is simply this. It's going to cost his body being broken and it's going to cost his blood being spilled and shed to cover the cracks and the chips and the broken pieces of our life that are caused by the sin that dominates us. You know, the prophet Isaiah put it this way in Isaiah 53, verse 56. 
But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. As we partake right now together of the Lord's Supper, I pray that you'll never forget the price that was paid to for the penalty of, of your sin, to restore you back, to repair the brokenness of your life so that we can become once again what he has created us to be. So if you have your emblems, just like Jesus talked about in, in those verses, he took the bread and he broke it and he blessed it and he gave thanks. And then he took the cup and he said, this is my blood which is spilled for you. It's the blood of the new covenant. And it's going to be poured out to cover the sins of your life. So let's partake together tonight. Pray with me. Lord, I just thank you. I thank you for this time that we can gather around your table just to remember the price that was paid for our sin. The price that restored and repaired the brokenness that's in our life. And so, Father, I just pray that we'll never forget what you have done. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Now, as we think about the question that I asked at the beginning, did God do anything to repair and restore our brokenness? There's something that we need to understand right from the get-go, and it's this. The plan to restore a broken world started literally before time began. And it started in the mind of a loving God. And it summed up his incredible plan to bring us back to him. And it's described by one word. The word is redemption. Somebody wrote, redemption is a word that implies helplessness. It's the picture of one held captive by forces that they cannot overcome. It's only by the intervention of a third party that they can be rescued. You see, redemption can never be possessed by human effort alone. It can only happen through the work of a redeemer. And so throughout the Old Testament, God's people look forward to the day. They look forward in hope to that time when God would send the Messiah, the one who would repair the brokenness in their life and who would redeem them from their sin. So here's what I want us to do. Just for the next few moments, I want to put a picture in your minds and in your hearts that will help you to understand God's plan of redemption, that plan that led Jesus to the cross. To do that, I want to go back to the very beginning, to the Garden of Eden. All of us know the story of Adam and Eve. We know that as they had incredible intimacy and fellowship with God, that they were naked and unashamed, and they had the garden basically to themselves and with God. God only said, there's only one tree you can't eat from. 
And of course, when they were tempted by the deceiver, by Satan himself, they gave in. And when sin entered the world, all of a sudden, they realized their shame. They realized their nakedness. They tried to cover themselves up with fig leaves. And then they heard God coming, and they hid from God. And as you know, God dealt with them in, in, a, in a mighty way. But what you might not remember is how that story ends right there. Because in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, this is what we read. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. Now, I want you to just think about that for a moment. God does something incredible here. He takes an innocent third party, sheds its blood, takes its skin, and covers their shame, their nakedness, and their brokenness. Many believe that this is the beginning of the sacrificial system of the Old Testament and a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do for all mankind. As right here, Adam and Eve learned, and we learned, that without the shedding of blood, there would be no forgiveness. Now, let's roll the clock ahead a little bit. The Israelites are enslaved in Egypt for 430 years. And God decides that it's time to free them. So he brings upon Egypt ten plagues, the final one being the death of the firstborn son. And as Moses got his instructions from the Lord, God just simply said, here's what you tell the people. Tell them to take a lamb. They need to kill that lamb. And they need to take its blood and they need to wash it. They need to wipe it. They need to paint it upon the doorpost of their home. And then they need to take and they need to cook that lamb, that body of that lamb, and they need to feast on it that night. Because that night, the death angel is coming. And any home that he passes by who does not have the blood of the lamb on it, the firstborn son will be killed. But those that are covered by the blood of the lamb, they will be saved. That's the Passover. Now let's roll the clock ahead just a little further. And let's look at the sacrificial system of the Old Testament for a moment. Now if you're just a normal rank-and-file Israelite, and you mess up. You must kill an animal, and you must make a blood sacrifice because something has to atone for your sin. Now, this practice turns into what is called the Day of Atonement. And during this celebration, the high priest would take two goats. One of them would be killed and offered as a blood sacrifice, an atoning sacrifice. And the other would become what they referred to as the scapegoat. Now, all the people would, would stand around before the tent of meeting, and the scapegoat would be brought before the high priest. And the high priest would put both of his hands upon the head of that scapegoat. And then he would do kind of this mass confession. And he would just announce the sins that had been committed in the last 12 months. And then he would say something like this, I transfer your sins from you to the head of this goat. And once that process was done, a young man would be chosen to lead that goat out into the wilderness where it would be lost and where it would die. And then when the young man would return, he would simply announce to the people, your sins are gone. Bad for the goat, but good for the people. 
Now let's roll ahead even farther because as we come into the New Testament, God continues to unveil his plan of redemption. And it's going to be found through a young girl named Mary. Look what Luke writes. He says, but the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. Matthew puts it this way as the angel talks with Joseph. She said, he says, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. Why? Look at this. Because he will save his people from their sins. God's plan of redemption. Let's roll the clock ahead a little farther. Jesus is about to begin his ministry. And John the Baptist is out preaching. He's preaching a message of repentance to the people And this is what we read in John chapter 1, verse 29. It says, the very next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and he yelled out, here he is, God's Passover lamb. He forgives the sins of the world. Do you hear what John is saying here? Are you catching it? He's saying there, coming before you, there's the sacrificial lamb that all the Old Testament was pointing to. He's the Passover lamb and his blood will be spilled to wash away our sins and to repair the brokenness of our lives. He has become our scapegoat upon which which all of our sins will be placed and not just for a year, but for all eternity. Now let's roll the clock ahead three years. And Jesus is observing the Passover with his disciples. The Passover that we celebrated just a few moments ago. The scriptures that we read that Jesus talked about to his disciples. And then he takes the bread and he takes the cup. And he basically says this. He says, this is my body which will carry your sins. And it will be broken for you. And this is my blood that will be spilled on your behalf to cleanse you of your sins. And it's going to take all of this and it's going to take all of this to atone for your sins. And a short time later, Jesus was nailed to a cross. And as he died, it is no accident what he said. Because his words were this, it is finished. It is finished. And let me tell you, Jesus wasn't giving up. He wasn't surrendering. He was saying God's plan of redemption that started before the creation of the world, that was introduced in the garden, that was demonstrated through the Old Testament, that was birthed through Mary, that John talked about, that I shared with my disciples at our last meal together. It is now being fulfilled in me. I have become your your substitute. I have become your Passover lamb and I have paid the price and have atoned for the sins of all mankind. It is finished. It has been brought to completion. Oswald Oswald Chambers wrote, the greatest note of triumph that ever sounded in the ears of a startled universe sounded on the cross. It is finished. That is the last word in the redemption of man. Now, if you haven't heard anything else, please hear this. Jesus' death on the cross 
met the demands of justice. He took the hit. He paid the penalty for our sin. And you and I have been redeemed because of the blood of Jesus. The Apostle Paul wrote this in Colossians 1.20, God made peace through the blood of Christ's death on the cross. Let me close with this. There's an old Japanese art of mending broken pottery. It's called kintsuji. And kintsuji means golden joinery. You see, it's the art of joining broken pieces of pottery with a liquid resin that has been infused with gold. The result is a bowl or a vase that regardless of the scars that may be left, the seams that may be left, is more beautiful, more aesthetically complex, and more valuable than the original piece. The new piece with golden seams becomes, became so popular among Japanese art collectors that in the 15th century, some were even accused of purposely breaking pottery in order to just repair it with the gold. Here's what I want you to understand on this Good Friday. And I want you to never forget, because of his brokenness, the blood that Jesus shed for us became the resin that fills the cracks and crevices of our broken lives. And it repairs and it restores and it redeems us back to him. And even though the scars may remain, we now become more beautiful in his eyes than we ever could have imagined. I'm going to pray, and after I pray, we're just going to close with a video that I want you to just focus on. Pray with me. Father, thank you for this night. Thank you for our time together. Thank you for those who are joining us tonight. God, may you bless. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for all that he went through on the cross. And it is in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you.